The views expressed on this broadcast of the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or its affiliates. KHLT and Take12Radio.com are not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Welcome to Walking Through the Big Book with Chris Schroeder and Monty Meyer. And now, here's those two guys who investigate prior to contempt, Chris and the Monty Man. Well, greetings to my family. All of you in recovery, out of recovery, some of you, maybe you should be in recovery, but why, why you're listening, whatever brought you to Take12Radio.com on your internet dial, we are grateful that you're here. Welcome to Walking Through the Big Book. I'm your co-host, the Monty Man, along with Chris Schroeder, who is taking us sentence by sentence, chapter by chapter, uh, through the, uh, the book called Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, affectionately known amongst members of AA, as well as others. The big book. Hello, Chris. Hey, Monty. How are you doing today? I, I'm doing better. My back's been out. You know, it's, it's it's funny. I was listening to our theme song. Um, remember me? I'm the one down on the floor, and that's how yeah, I've been yeah. feeling the last couple of days with my back being out. But uh, I'm doing better today, and was able to come into work so we can do the show. That's great. That's great. Good for you. So, what are we doing? Well, you know, we've been moving into uh, step twelve, uh, the chapter entitled Working with Others. And we you know, it's taken us quite a few weeks to build up to working with others. There's so much information, so much direction yeah. uh, that they lay out for us in preparation for this step. You know, so often alcoholism is an illness of isolation. We are, you know, our world gets smaller and smaller the longer we drink. Uh, mine got so small, I was in a room in a house, and I would barely make it to work, barely make it to the liquor store just to get back to that room and drink. And there was no social activity. There was nobody left in my life that was, you know, coming over to say, hey. And my world had just diminished into this, this tiny little existence. And part of recovery is, is getting back out into the world, becoming able to step back out mm -hmm. in, into the world. And, I, you know, I believe that the first 11 steps prepare us to be able to do that in, in many, many different ways. Certainly the most important is becoming, uh, becoming part of the solution to alcoholism, mm -hmm. actually having uh, a way out upon which we can all agree, which is the steps, and then finding finding people susceptible, <laughs> as, it, as it were, to, um, uh, to exposing them to the steps and helping them actually uh, take those steps. So, you know, here we are, here we are at step 12. We, t we talked a little bit uh, last week. We got uh, a couple of pages into it, and we'll move into it more uh, today. Well, let me ask you this. Um, I don't know if this term is politically correct within 12-step fellowships, but I'm going to use it anyway. Um, 
when you're working with somebody and you're going through the book and you're working uh, with them on the steps and and watching them grow and mature in, in their recovery program, um, are you in many ways raising them up and helping them, training them while going through the book to be sponsors themselves? I think that's the whole point of, of the book. The book is very selfless. You know, if you look at the prayers and the directions, so many of them are about becoming useful, not getting more and better things for yourself, yeah. but, but, but becoming more effective and more useful uh, to, to others. So certainly the, the, the big book doesn't talk much about sponsorship, but it's a textbook on, on how to sponsor. Mm-hmm. It really is. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably, you know, one of the sadder things in the 12-step fellowships today are a lot of people have lost the skill sets that this book helps you to develop. And they've come up with easier, softer ways. They've come up with the one-liners. And the one-liners are basically just so that you can remain lazy and not have to get involved, you know, with the person at a deeper level. You can just tell them to turn it over or to keep it simple. And, and give them your phone number, which you know you, they're never going to call, and walk out of the meeting feeling good about yourself. But uh, the, the fact of the matter is, is this, this book really, uh, really is about developing the skill sets you need, not only to experience recovery for yourself, but, uh, but to, to be effective and useful at showing other people how to recover. And, mm-hmm. and certainly this, this chapter is, is very, very clear on it. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Well, let's launch forth. Okay. All right. Last week, I think the last chapter we uh, we read was on page 92. Mm-hmm. If you are satisfied, he is a real alcoholic. Uh, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. Again, you know, the, the, the first sentence in uh, We Agnostics, we hope we have made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. And here it says, if you are satisfied, he is a real alcoholic. So you should understand what an alcoholic is before you begin your 12-step work, and you should be satisfied that they're a real alcoholic. Now, I, you know, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be of help to other people when and where it's, it's appropriate, but, um, but basically the philosophy in this book is, is if you're not sure that a person is a real alcoholic, if you've qualified them and, and they're not, they might be a heavy drinker, they might be a drug addict or whatever, you're really supposed to move on. I mean, you're supposed to remain helpful, but as far as engaging in the intensive work with the individual of, uh, of working them through the steps, you're going to find that if they're non-alcoholic, chances are 9 out of 10 that they're not going to get through the work. Now, if they are alcoholic and they've recognized the hopelessness of their condition and they're starting to come to believe that there's a solution, you're going to have somebody you can work with, and it's not going to be a waste of time because most likely they're going to engage in this recovery process and become part of uh, what it says later in this chapter, the fellowship uh, that you crave. Mm -hmm. Uh, During my heyday, Monty, it was uh, the mid-'90s, and I just I just was on fire with work with working with people, and I was situated in such a place uh, where there was a lot of parking. It was a big house. Uh, I had a very uh, a very uh, you know uh, easy job. It wasn't like I was I was working sixteen hours a day, and I had a lot of time for this. 
And I took, oh, geez, at a conservative estimate, 200 people through through the steps between 95 and, say, 2001 in this house. And I can tell you, I can tell you that the people that made it through the steps are all still around. Uh, they are working with others. Their qualities of life are really, really high. And uh, the people that did not, you know, who came over because they were curious or they wanted to learn more, they weren't fully convinced that if they didn't go through the steps, they were going to die. They were just there maybe maybe to become uh, better members of whatever fellowship they were involved with. And they would, uh, they would poop out, you know, somewhere in 4, 5, 8, 9, or 12. And those people who, who didn't go all the way through the steps, every one of them are gone. I'm not saying they drank. They there just what there just wasn't enough uh, wasn't enough spiritual power in their system to keep them plugged in and connected. Mm. You know, so I've I've learned a very uh, a ver- a great deal over the years about this, and I default back to the book. You know, if if I come up with something, that's me <laughs> coming up with something. It may be good, it may be bad, but it's untried, it's untested. Um, the stuff that is in this book, if I default back to it, you know, they learned from hard experience, uh, um, you know, in, in the years where they were intensively working with other alcoholics. And it's usually a better bet. If I think they should go left and this book says they should go right, I've learned to tell them to go right. <laughs> you know, yeah. Because it's just, it's better advice than I can come up with on my own. Yeah, I agree. Now, we're, we've met with somebody. They're susceptible to, or, or they're willing at least to listen to us. We've been put in front of them in a number of ways. Maybe, maybe we've met them in a meeting. Maybe we've met them in a detox. Maybe a family member has recommended us. You know, we need, we need to be open and available to 12-step opportunities uh, where we can. So we're sitting in front of the person. And part of it is, you know, we tell them a little bit about our story. It says in here to, you know, talk about your alcoholism. We went over a little bit of that last week. And uh, down at uh, the last uh, paragraph on page 92, continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. This is something that Bill learned from Dr. Silkworth. Bill was running around, you know, telling everybody all kinds of stuff, like, like you know, and the, the fact of the matter was he wasn't giving anybody sufficient reason or motivation. If you can convince somebody that alcoholism is a progressively fatal malady, that they can't stay away from a drink no matter how much they want to, once they start drinking, their body is going to ensure that you they kill themselves with the alcohol, and and their their life is unmanageable on practically every level it could be unmanageable on. If you've been able to convince somebody of that, you know, there's there's going to be motivation to move forward. So talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it, okay? The body would be the physical craving. Once you start drinking, you have little or no control over the amount you take. Um, the condition of mind is is that strange mental blank spot that, that does not enable you to stay consistent with a decision to stay separated from alcohol. Mm-hmm. So we need to we need to talk about that. And, and so so many people misunderstand the first step. They think the first step is I just don't drink no matter what. And you know if you walk into a detox or a hospital and you tell somebody I just don't drink no matter what, 
what's going to happen is is they're going to look at you and they say that doesn't work for me. You know, I've been trying that for eight years. What else you got? <laughs> if you don't got anything else, they're just going to dismiss you as somebody that can't help them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so again, uh, it's a real good idea to understand uh, the principles of alcoholism. That the description of alcoholism that's uh, that's pro offered earlier in this book. Keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. Nobody has better personal experience with alcoholism than us. You know, you want to start pulling out facts and figures and, and, and uh, you know, uh, statistical data. You're just going to lose somebody. But if you start telling them about your own personal experience and they believe that you know what you're talking about, about this alcohol game, they're going to start to listen. Uh, explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. Because alcoholism doesn't allow you the dignity of an accurate self-appraisal, Monty, a lot of people die before they even understand what the problem is. Mm-hmm, sure. I mean, I was killer alcoholic for 15 years and didn't really know it. I didn't know what alcoholism was. I, didn't, I knew I drank a lot, but I had never been exposed to a description of alcoholism. Every once in a while, somebody handed me a pamphlet with a bunch of questions like, does alcohol, you know, affect your personal relationships? You know, have you gotten in trouble with alcohol? And, you know, all those, all those questions uh, could easily be a heavy drinker. You, you know, is it possible a heavy drinker has had a DUI or gotten in trouble drinking? Oh, you bet. Is it possible a heavy drinker has gotten fired from a job for being drunk? Absolutely. Is it possible that, you know, uh, a heavy drinker was arrested two or three times when they were drinking? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, well, the description in this book is about the alcoholic, not the problem drinker. So, uh, again, so many of those little pamphlets that I was handed, you know, uh, had to do with uh, drug abuse, not drug d- or dependence, or alcohol abuse, not alcohol dependence. Mm-hmm. It's really necessary for us as, as 12-steppers to be able to identify somebody who's just a disco drunk from somebody who's a real alcoholic. Because if we're running around with the disco drunks, alcoholics could be dying. And we're not going to get anywhere with the disco drunk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, you bet. Doctors are rightly loath to tell alcoholic patients the whole story unless it will serve some good purpose. And a lot of times these, these doctors are afraid to tell you that you're hopeless and you're going to die a horrible alcoholic death and there's nothing they can do for you. I mean, you know, so, so they won't. Um, uh, current practice uh, in the medical field is, uh, is heading toward brief interventions, uh, alcoholism awareness, substance abuse awareness. I think uh, ASAM and a number of other organizations are making real inroads in educating doctors about addictive illness and alcoholism, but never, ever make the mistake of thinking a doctor understands alcoholism or drug addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are putting your hands in, uh, in someone that may not understand anything about it. They may think that you're just doing it to yourself, and if you just hitch up your bootstraps, you know, you could get on with your life and, and become responsible. Yeah. That, that, that may be their perspective on alcoholism or, or drug addiction. And if you're putting your trust in someone like that, that all they're going to have for you is half measures and, and, and ineffective uh, uh, techniques for, you know, trying to straighten your life out. But you may talk to them about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. You will soon have your friend admitting he has many, if not all, of the traits of the alcoholic. 
If his own doctor is willing to tell him he is alcoholic, so much the better. Even though your protege, protege may not have entirely admitted his condition, he has become very curious to know how you got well. Now, back in the day, they had some good relationships with some doctors. Today, doctors are more often than not going to refer you to treatment. It's, uh, the, you know, some of them will say, hey, you should go to, you should go to AA or, you, sh you know, whatever. But most of them, most of them are going to uh, give you literature on detox or, or treatment. Now, uh, you know, I know a lot about treatment. I, I've been involved in working around that field, satelliting around that field for several years now. And I know that treatment is about discovery and the 12 steps are about recovery. Right. And I know that without a spiritual capacity to a recovery process, something that the treatment centers sometimes aren't real well well versed in offering, there's going to be little or no chance for the real alcoholic. Uh, the people who get help in the treatment centers uh, uh, mainly are the people who uh, who are uh, alcohol abusers or drug abusers, not not the not the alcoholics. The alcoholics, when they get discharged, are more often than not going to experience that powerlessness. Um, because treatment is not going to offer you a solution to the powerlessness. They can tell you about every trigger in the book and, and put you through every relapse prevention program there is. But if you're a real alcoholic and you're not working a spiritual program of action, the time and the place is going to come. And none of that is going to be a sufficient defense against the mm -hmm. first drink. Mm -hmm. Because self-knowledge is not a defense against the first drink. And knowing your triggers and taking relapse prevention courses are about self-knowledge. So again, treatment is, is appropriate. It's very profitable for people to do, uh, that you can learn a whole lot about all this. But if you're, uh, if you're a real alcoholic and you don't engage in some type of spiritual process for a life system, you know, as a way of life, your chances are going to be less than average. And that's, that's just what I've seen. And, and you know, um, there's no statistic, you know, there's no statistics on that. That's a very, very difficult thing to get accurate, you know, study data on. But I'll tell you, that's my experience, and that's what I've what I've seen. Uh, and I have too, Chris. And I, I think if anybody, uh, you know, if you if you sit in a a, a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous or or, or some some of these other um, satellite programs. I think then that's when it becomes obvious, and you, you look at people and, and you see the ones that have some kind of spiritual uh, connection with the Creator. Um, you know, I, um, I I don't want to mention the name, but um, I, I did watch uh, a uh, like a documentary here recently uh, that featured a, a very well known uh, person in the recovery field, and when asked about um, People working with, and, and, and the statement was used, or the term was used, higher power, uh, how important it was to have a higher power and how, and how many people that this person had worked with um, actually had a spiritual connection. And his statement was, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but his statement was, uh, you know, that works for some people and sometimes that's okay. And I thought, <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, and I and I actually thought, I mean, coming out of this person's mouth, I was shocked because I, I totally expected a whole other answer. And I thought that is so sad because that, that's like that. That's like, you know, making the cake, 
but forgetting to put the eggs in. I mean, it's not going to come out of cake. You know, so many people who are looking to make money in this field, and then and then there's there's people who are just you know against the the twelve step movement as a whole because they can't make any money off of it. They can't gain any status in it. Yeah, they're they're going to be supportive of uh, of other uh, other options. But the fact of the matter is, is if they can accurately make the uh, distinguish the difference between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic they're going to recognize that any success that they have with non-spiritual methods are mostly going to be with the non-alcoholic problem drinker what's going to happen is they're going to get the real alcoholics in their programs or who read their books or whatever and they're they're, they're going to have the attitude like, well, they just didn't want it enough, or you know, they weren't being honest, or they they didn't they didn't do everything I asked them to do, and they failed. Mm-hmm. Well, the the fact of the matter is 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 uh, is you know, the, the it's not always the alcoholic who drinks that fails. More often than not, it's the process somebody was offering them that is the failure. You know, I'll give you. I'll give you for instance. I I, uh, I put somebody into uh, into a treatment program several years ago, and they drank and were thrown out of the treatment program. And basically, uh, basically, my you know what I what I did was I called up uh, the individual who you know I used to to get the admission, and I said, "What are you doing?" He goes, "Well, you know, he drank." And I'm like, okay, well, let me ask you this. I sent a problem drinker whose drinking is out of control to you for treatment, and they drank and you threw them out? <laughs> I don't get that. If, if I sent somebody to you who had cancer and their cancer came back, would you throw them out of the program because their cancer came back? If you're saying alcoholism is a disease, then how about treating it like right? One? You, you know what I mean? So yeah. there's, there's, there's misunderstanding uh, across the board, even in the field of alcoholism treatment. So many of them still think that everything hinges on the person's willingness. Look, you can be really willing to not drink and drink, you yeah. know? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it, it's all a matter of ha- have you been... Have you been uh, approached by someone who has solved the problem, who was as alcoholic as you, and have you placed yourself under their care and, and direction? You, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I've, I've been taking meetings into, um, recovery meetings into treatment centers for a long, long time. And I don't care what uh, statistics they offer you. I see what their statistics are. And the treatment centers that are very serious about pushing spirituality, whether it's in, uh, you know, whether it's in uh, attendance at twelve-step groups or uh, or meditation and prayer or getting back involved with a faith life, or you know, reading spirit, you know, whatever whatever they're pushing the people towards spiritually, those are the ones that are successful. Mm-hmm. The ones that are just clinical, like clinical, clinical, clinical. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say they have maybe a one percent success rate. Mm-hmm. You know, for the alcoholic. Again, it's not in most of these people's best interest to separate the alcoholic from the non-alcoholic because they're both paying customers. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. But uh, but the fact of the matter is, is this is what I what I've seen, and and I've really been trying to to pay attention, and I know you have too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, 
if his own doctor is willing to tell him that he is alcoholic, so much the better. Even though your protege may not have entirely admitted his condition, he's become very curious to know how you got well. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to tell them all about alcoholism, all about your experiences, how you couldn't stop, how, how you, you, know, you always got in trouble and you didn't understand what was going on. And then what you're going to do is you're going to get them very, very curious. They're going to want to know because they're going to identify with you. They're going to say, yeah, you know, that's, that's what happens to me. You know, and just sometimes out of curiosity, they're going to want to know what you did. Because even if they're not completely willing to give up alcohol entirely right then and right there, they would want to know how to do so if they needed to. Mm -hmm. So let him ask you that question if he will. Tell him exactly what happened to you. Stress the spiritual feature freely. Tell him exactly what happened to you means talk about your recovery, what, what steps you took, what happened to you during those steps. If the man be agnostic or atheist, make it emphatic that he does not have to agree with your conception of God. He can choose any conception he likes, provided it makes sense to him. The main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he live by spiritual principles. So that's, that's a deal-breaker. If someone is not willing to, to at least be willing to believe in a power greater than themselves and to start to live by spiritual principles, there's nothing you can do for them. Okay, you are, if they're really an alcoholic, they are not going to recover. They may have periods of sobriety ahead of them. They may even make some progress, but the time and the place is going to come, and they're going to start drinking again, and that's going to throw them right back into the progressive cycle of alcoholism. You know, most alcoholics die an alcoholic death, Monty, yeah. way, way more than most. You know, this is a serious illness. This is this is the number one health threat in America today. Uh, uh, I'd say one out of ten people suffer from alcoholism, and a huge majority of them are about the business of drinking themselves to death. Mm -hmm. You know, most alcoholics most most alcoholics are not in uh, recovery. Correct. You know, about ten percent of the alcoholics are doing something about it in yeah. a serious way. About ninety percent are, you know, <laughs> trying to do the best they can with the alcohol. It's it's a very very sad state of affairs. Hey, uh, uh, Chris, I I'm going to ask you this in, in this, uh, this section where it talks about uh, that he doesn't have to agree with your conception of God. He can choose any concept he he likes. Here's here's the part of this that I find really interesting. Provided, uh, provided it makes sense to him. <laughs> you, you, I read that and I think, when not a whole lot of stuff made sense to me when I when I first came in the doors, you know, um, and, and I was, I, I'm so grateful that that somebody came alongside me that knew this book and knew these steps well, uh, and was able to take me from a place even where I didn't understand. Uh, to where I would come to understand. Um, but how does a person who first comes in who is just, I mean, you know, maybe they didn't have any any kind of faith or background whatsoever, not even one to have a resentment against, um, and they don't understand any kind of conception. How does this fit, provided it makes sense to him? It says stress the spiritual feature freely. And again, 
Uh, I think it's important that we talk about our experience with a power greater than ourselves, what, you know, what God has done for us that we could not do for ourselves. However, there are going to be, there are going to be people who have very antagonistic views of God. There are going to be people that are very mad at God, even if they have a conception of God, because uh-huh. if God is interventionary, boy, he didn't do it with me. Right. There are going to be people who have been in um, abusive religion. You know, one of yeah. the fastest-growing twelve-step uh, fellowships in America today is Fundamentalist Anonymous. Right. You know, there there are going to there are going to be people who misunderstand uh, what happened with me. And I'm not saying I totally agree with this, but what happened with me is I believed in God, but I didn't believe He could intervene on this plane. Mm. In other words, I thought He was done with the deal, the Big Bang, you know, the planets, and He's moved on because He's not paying attention to me. Right. So in the beginning, what I did was I placed uh, I placed the higher power label on my sponsor and the groups. Moving into these steps and experiencing some of the power of these steps, I started to feel a power flow through me, and I started to believe and started to label that power the power of God. It took me a long time to be able to establish the the relationship with and the understanding of God that I have today. Mm -hmm. But in the Oxford group, they they allowed you to start where you were. Whatever concept you have, start there, but let's start building on it. Let's start getting rid of the concepts that don't seem to work, and let's, let's, let's get you about the business of a spiritual journey where you're asking the right questions, and you know, you're paying attention to this question of God. At the very, at the, at the very least, be, be willing, but wherever you are when you walk through the door, that's fine. It has to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, but you, you also... Every, so many places in this book, it says we beg of you to lay aside prejudice yeah. against organized religion. Please have an open mind, but you know, uh, please be willing to, to have a beginner's mind and be open to spiritual concepts. And so, uh, so again, I, I don't think I don't think that uh, uh, that the God thing should stop someone from moving forward. We need we need to be. Uh, you know, we need to be uh, compassionate and understanding that these, the people that we're working with have bizarre, tragic relationship with a power greater than themselves at times. At times, they know more about theology than we do. At times, you know, we're working with priests or ministers, you know, who are alcoholic. Mm-hmm. So, we, you know, we, we, have, we have to not be authoritative about what kind of a concept of God they have. So, you know, we don't convince them uh, of the attributes of God. We convince them they're going to die without a relationship with one. Yeah, well said. You know? Yeah. When dealing with such a person, you had better use everyday language to describe spiritual principles. There is no use arousing any prejudice that he may have against certain theological terms and conceptions about which he may already be confused. Don't raise such issues, no matter what your own convictions are. Your prospect may belong to a religious denomination. His religious education and training may be far superior to yours. In that case, he's going to wonder how you can add anything to what he already knows. But he will be curious to learn why his own convictions have not worked and why yours seem to work so well. He may be an example of the truth that faith alone is insufficient. 
you know, the, the book of James was very, very important to the early alcoholics. They almost named uh, AA uh, the James Club. James Club, right. Dr. Bob would read from the book of James all the time from the podium when, when uh, in the earlier meetings. And in the book of James, it, that's basically where the statement is, faith without works is dead. Yeah. So true for alcoholics. It is true for alcoholics. We can believe in uh, in, in religious concepts like like predestination. Uh, we can believe in concepts like like uh, the the you know the grace, the unearned uh, unearned grace. We can believe in those concepts, but we can't sit home on our duff, not getting busy. Yeah. That type of faith will not keep somebody sober. The type of faith we need is one where we jump back into uh, our fellowship and, you know, our community and start working very, very hard uh, helping other people. You know, that's what the, the first century Christians were all about. You know, I, I was reading this very interesting book, and it was, it was basically answering the question, like, why Christianity spread so quickly? In 300 years, it was the main religion in, in the Roman Empire, and it started out being a, a peasant cult. Well, a couple of the reasons were Christians believed so much in the power of God that they were not afraid to take care of sick people, okay? Mm -hmm. They were the ones who would go into the houses during the plagues and the, and the, and the, and the epidemics, the, uh, and they would minister to people not being afraid that they were going to get sick. Everybody else would abandon these people because they knew it was contagious. Mm -hmm. The Christians would jump right in there and take care of these people because faith without works was dead. Now, when the people got well, what did they want to do? They wanted, they wanted to become Christians because these Christians saved their lives. Right. So that helped the growth. Also, uh, in, in, infanticide was big in the Roman Empire. That was basically where, when you had a, a female baby, that was almost no use to, to people in the Roman Empire, so that they would put those babies out basically in the backyard to, to expire. You know, they wanted boys. Mm -hmm. And the Christians believed that that was not right. So all of a sudden, you had tons and tons of female Christians. Well, you know, what did that lead to? <laughs> that led to the growth of Christianity also. Those are just two of the reasons why Christianity spread. And the only reason I bring it up is because that's where the concept uh, that the, the big book authors got, faith without works is dead. Yeah. Good. Um, okay. Uh, let's see, where are we? He may be an example of this. To be vital... Faith must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish constructive action. That is a great thing. That's a, that's a great line to memorize. You know, somebody comes back and raises their hand and says, hey, you know, I drank again. You can ask them the question, well, were you self-sacrificing, unselfish, and were you engaged in constructive action? You know, and most of the time it was, no, <laughs> I was doing what I wanted to do. Let him see that you are not there to instruct him in religion. Admit that he probably knows more about it than you do, but call to his attention the fact that however deep his faith and knowledge, he could not have applied it or he would not drink. Now, you know, okay, this is really a really great statement here. He could not have applied it. It didn't mean that it didn't work. It meant that he didn't apply it. 
Absolutely. There's another part in this book that says um, uh, f- philosophies of life uh, are insufficient. You know. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So uh, under you know being able to memorize the Bible, being able to, to to have a library of wonderful spiritual books, that's not the key. That's not going to do it. No. We, we really don't care what you know. We care what you do. No more than no more than uh, I always I tell people this. You know, uh, Going to church isn't going to get you saved no more than going to an AA meeting is going to going to get you sober. No, yeah. it's it's not about what you know; it's about what you do. That's right. And, and faith without works is dead. Yeah. You know, w- the the term work has really become unpopular in a, in a, in a lot of re- recovery fellowships. Yeah. You know, if I would have heard that I would have to do all the work, you know, when I first came in, you know, I would have been out the door. (laughs) And, you know, the question I ask is, would anybody have cared? (laughs) You know, you're assuming we care (laughs) whether or not you would have been out the door. You know, what what are you bringing to the the party here, uh, 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 Uncle Fester, you know? (laughs) uh, You know what I mean? Uh, uh, The fact of the matter is, is, why, why... why avoid the concept of work if that's what they need to do to save their life? Mm-hmm. I mean, would a doctor say, boy, I don't want to bring up the fact that this guy's going to have to go on penicillin, you know? That'll hurt his feeling. <laughs> I, I mean, would a doctor do that? No. no. You know, so, again, uh, again, we're the people who can help these people who are dying. So would you rather step on somebody's feelings or step on their grave? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Sometimes mm-hmm. you have to tell them there's a lot of work ahead. Of you. Mm-hmm. If you're not ready for the work, here's my phone number. Give me a call if you change your mind. Alcohol is supposed to be the, the persuader, not us. You know, yeah. we're not supposed to talk people into quitting drinking. They have to get to that point themselves. Yeah. You know, Um Perhaps your story will help him see where he has failed to practice the very precepts he knows so well. We represent no faith or denomination. We are dealing only with general principles common to most denominations. All right, so that basically is the instruction in how to bring up the God question. And there's some there's some good instructions in there. Are you still numbering, Monty, by yep. the way? Yep. Okay. How <laughs> many so far? Uh... I'm I'm at forty six right now. Forty forty six. Yeah, and we're only uh, we're only like four pages into this chapter. <laughs> so you know, there's about there's about ten instructions per page, uh, and we, you know, really we we definitely owe it to to our our brothers and sisters in alcoholism out there uh, to to become proficient with this. All right, now now we're going to move from step three into the the program of action. Outline the program of action, explaining how you made a self-appraisal, how you did step four. So if you haven't done step four, how are you going to be able to do this? Mm-hmm. One of the things that you see all over the place are inexperienced uh, members of fellowship doing 12-step calls. They've never done a four-step. They've never made amends. They don't pray and meditate, and yet they're going on 12-step calls. What kind of a message are they actually bringing to the person? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Okay, this is how I made a self-appraisal. Explain how you straightened out your past, how you did the ninth step, and why you are now endeavoring to be helpful to him. A little bit about the twelfth step. It is important for him to realize that your attempt to pass this on to him plays a vital part in your own recovery. Again, nothing will so much ensure immunity from alcohol 
as intensive work with others. Say that to the person, you know, because a lot of times alcoholics are like, what am I going to owe this guy or how much is this going to cost? Make it very, very clear that it's not it's not about what you know what they do. You know, you're you're there to pass on the message. If the person is receptive, you'll do everything you can to help. Other than that, you know, there's no there's no obligation. You know, we're we're not you know we're not obligating this individual mm-hmm. to any, anything. Um, actually, he may be helping you more than you are helping him. Make it plain he is under no obligation to you, that you hope only that he will try to help other alcoholics when he escapes his own difficulties. Suggest how important it is that he places the welfare of other people ahead of his own. That sentence, instead of all the the happy horse patootie that you see up on the walls, (laughs) I wish that was up on the wall, okay? It is important that you place the welfare of other people ahead of your own. I would like to see that as one of those wall plaques because it's it's true and it's really important. And, uh, you know, they'd rather say it's a selfish program than say you need to place the welfare of other people ahead of your own. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, make it clear that he is not under pressure, that he needn't see you again if he doesn't want to. You should not be offended if he wants to call it off, for he has helped you more than you've helped him. Yeah. Now, if your talk has been sane, quiet, and full of human understanding, you have perhaps made a friend. Maybe you have disturbed him about the question of alcoholism. This is all to the good. The more hopeless he feels, the better. He will be more likely to follow your suggestion. Okay. I paint people into the corner. If I have if I have the ability to do so, I paint somebody into the corner. You know, the obsession of the mind is going to going to continue to put alcohol in your body. Once it's in your body, the phenomenon of craving is going to ensure you drink yourself to death and every aspect of your life is in turmoil and completely unmanageable. So how's that working for you? <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um I'm you know, I'm telling you, if you disturb the people, they're going to get upset especially if you disturb people in some of the recovery meetings. Mm-hmm. You know, by really talking about what the real problem is and the real solution is, you're going to disturb alcoholic. Yeah. No doubt about it. Nobody nobody wants to be felt wants to feel small because they've never done this and you're talking about being a good member of that particular fellowship is all about doing it. You know, it's going to that's going to raise their ego up and they're going to want to slam you and tell you, you know, tell you kid, you, you know, you don't know nothing. You know, but if you disturb <laughs> them about their alcoholism, it might lead to their recovery. You know, I'm not saying that you, we need we need to, to to go out and make enemies everywhere and just cause right. uh, cause contention everywhere we go. There's a way to do it with love, kindness, uh, uh, tolerance, and intelligence. But sometimes we need to disturb alcoholics. Sure, and I was that's all to the good. I I was disturbed <laughs> when my father first said something to me. Um, and, and, and some others, and I remember very, and I, I carry this with me a lot, uh, and share this with other people. Um, my, my very first sponsor, and he took me through the steps, what I call my first formal working of them. Um, and he would tell me, I said, well, so-and-so said this to me and -and so-and-so said that to me. It was always about somebody else, you know, and I don't like that. And I don't think that's right. Blah, blah, blah. He says, listen. He says two things. If you want to get them off your back and if you want to do yourself a favor, 
He said, if someone, so if somebody suggests something to, to you, or maybe they're not suggesting, maybe they're in your face, simply say, thank you, I'll consider that. And then consider it. And it... I love that. It worked. I love that. You know, this book is about, uh, it's not about the answers, it's about the questions, and it's asking you to consider those questions. Don't answer them right away. Yeah. In other words, in other words, if you go into this book with already with your answer, you're not going to learn anything. Yeah. If you're looking in this book for an answer, it's a process. It's not an answer. So, but there are a number of questions that you need to consider. Now, think about a question. Uh, let's say I ask you a question and you answer it. Mm-hmm. All right. The type of questions they're asking us in here require consideration. We need to look back through our own experience and sometimes the experience of others and very, very thoughtfully answer these questions based on our own experience. You know, that's, that's how you, you, you remain open and willing to learn and experience. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? Yes, it makes total sense. The more hopeless he feels, the better. All right. Your candidate may give reasons why he need not follow all of the program. <laughs> Pay the money back. You know, admit all my defects of character to you. He may rebel at the thought of a drastic house cleaning, which requires discussion with other people, the fourth and the fifth step. Do not contradict such views. Tell him you once felt as he does, but you doubt whether you would have made much progress had you not taken action. See, this brings, oh. it, this brings it back to you again, instead of attacking him. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, that's, you know, we share our experience, our strength, and our hope. But, you know, what this sentence is basically saying is, is if you're working with somebody who's balking on the fourth and the fifth step, if they're balking on the eighth and the ninth step, this basically tells tells you that, that you're supposed to tell them you would not have made much progress had you not taken action. So, so in, in other words, if somebody is not willing to do the steps with you, they are not willing to work with you. Do not become a drama coach. Mm-hmm. Do not become someone that gets called 15 times a day when they're in a jackpot. That yeah. doesn't help anybody. Okay? We're not, we're not about encouraging people to stay sober. We're about offering people a recovery process where they can be free. You know, if you're the if you're the type of uh, advisor or sponsor who just says, "Call me every day and tell me what's going on," you know, uh, I, I mean, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know why you would do that. I mm. don't know why you would do that. Who cares what's going on? You know, don't you have your own life to live? Now, if you take the time though to take them through the steps. Now you're not going to be, be you're not going to be a drama coach anymore. The questions they're going to have for you will will be all about I'm helping this guy and I'm wondering what to do. Mm-hmm. You're going to you're going to stop getting all those phone calls about oh I felt horrible today and I wanted to kill myself and my wife is yelling at me and my boss is upset. <laughs> I don't have time for phone calls like that. So. So, you know, this, this book is all about offering somebody a solution, not keeping them perpetually in a state of, uh, uh, of, of unmanageability and, and then finding out what their unmanageability looks like when they call you every day. Right. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, make yeah any sense? absolutely. Okay, it's our first visit. We're still in our first visit. On your first visit, tell them about the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. 
if he shows interest, lend him your copy of this book. So, Monty, what are you supposed to have with you on a 12-step call? Yeah, a big book. A spare. You yep. want to give him the one that you've been you've been marking up for 14 years. Right. Everybody signed from treatment. You know, your prize book. you got to have a spare. Yeah. Unless your friend wants to talk further about himself, do not wear out your welcome. Give him a chance to think it over. If you do stay, let him steer the conversation in any direction he likes. Hmm. Sometimes a new man is anxious to proceed at once. Okay, let's do all the steps right here. You know, right now, i got 15 minutes. And you may be tempted to let him do so. This is sometimes a mistake. If he has trouble later, he is likely to say that you rushed him. You, must, you will be more, most successful with alcoholics if you do not exhibit any passion or crusade or reform. Never talk down to an alcoholic from any moral or spiritual hilltop. Simply lay out the kit of spiritual tools for his inspection. And you do that by telling him how you went through the step. Show him how they worked with you. Okay, talk about some of the promises that have come true as a result of the step. Mm-hmm. Offer him friendship and fellowship. Tell him if he wants to get well, you will do anything to help. If he is not interested in your solution, <clears throat> if he doesn't want to go through the steps with you, if he expects you to act only as a banker for his financial difficulties or a nurse for his sprees or a drama coach, you may have to drop him until he changes his mind. This he may do after he gets hurt some more. So, Monty, what are you supposed to do if on the first visit the person does not become convinced to, to, to work, start working the steps with you? Well, you don't take him on. <laughs> you know, I mean, is, is, is that so against conventional wisdom today out there? No. Doesn't it, that, like, go so against conventional wisdom where, where everybody just, you know, wants to not upset anybody? Sure. Sure. You know, let, let's, yeah, let's don't upset him. Let's, you know, be there for him no matter what. Well, the deal, my sponsor today, and some people, a lot of people balk at this, but he's, you know, he tells folks, if you don't, you know, if, if you don't want to do this, then I don't have the time. I don't have the time. In fact, he goes so far as to say, if, if you constantly relapse and, that's 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 one thing but if you're not coming back if you're not in the book if you're not going to meet with me then i can't sponsor you because obviously anything i'm telling you isn't you're not doing it you know inherent in alcohol uh, alcoholism is, is a lack of a sense of urgency so you have to be very very good at uh, at, at a 12-step call. You have to paint the picture of powerlessness until the person gets it. And if they don't get it from their own experience, there's almost nothing you can do, you to, can do. Right. to get through the rest of the step. But <clears throat> I, I can't tell you how many people uh, you know, have asked me over the years who, who were less than serious. That their, their motives for asking me to take them through the steps were not, I can't do anything about my alcoholism, so I need help. Mm-hmm. That was not their motivation. There were other motivating factors. And if if you don't have a solid motivation, like your life depends on it, it's very difficult to go through these steps. Yeah. So, again, it, it's incumbent, I think, upon the 12-stepper to get good at painting the picture mm-hmm. of what alcoholism looks like and what, re- what recovery looks like. Listen, when you ask somebody, are you willing to go to any lengths, make sure that you've given them the dignity 
to understand what any links are. Yeah. <laughs> you know, any links are these steps. Otherwise, they'll just say yes. Otherwise, they'll just say yes. And, you know, it could be they have no idea they have no what idea. they're talking about, and they're no. just yesing you, you know, because they don't want to look small. Make sure that you've given them the, the dignity of uh, a thorough understanding of, of what any links looks like. And, you know, one of the things that I do a lot of times, too, is I have them sign my big book if I start to work with them. I am willing to go to the la- every single length in this book, sign and date it. You know, if at some po- point in time in the future they're balking or they're avoiding me or whatever, I'll bring it to their attention that they made a deal with me. I've got it in writing. You said you were willing to go to any lengths. What's going on with you? Why in the world is a Mets game more important than coming over and meeting with me? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, what part of that sense of urgency that's so important to recovery have you lost to think that a Mets game is more important than meeting with me? Mm-hmm. You, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'll do things like that. I'm, I've, learned these, I've learned these tricks because, you know... Um, the, e- the alcoholic ego does not want one to recover. You know, the alcoholic spirit does. So you need to get the guy, uh, get the people in touch with their spirit side as much as as much as possible. This is really interesting, Chris, because I and I I, I very seldom ever speak of this, but uh, now the world will know. Uh, <laughs> is uh, Ed, you're the first person I've ever heard bring up this thing about signing the book or signing an agreement. Um, I've actually before had a folder on the people that I was working with, uh-huh. and I would have them sign uh, sign when they said they would go to any length, what the date was, and uh, a little bit about counting the cost with them. Because so I think that's one of the ways we fail sponsees is we don't count the cost in the beginning. Uh, and, and then I would have their birthday on there, the sobriety birthday, because I, I have a great forgetter. Um, I would have that on there. Uh, and then I would have a place where I checked off what we'd worked on in the book, primarily because I needed to remember. And I remember getting all sorts of criticism. Oh, you know, you think you're a counselor. You got a file on them and so forth and so on. <laughs> but but I remember taking that and showing them, say, wait a minute. Remember what you said? And, and, and what you just said to me, it, it was like, oh. Thank goodness somebody else did something similar to that. <laughs> you know, it's their ego that's going to try to keep them out. And, yeah. uh, and it's, a, it's a real cut to the ego if they've signed a commitment <laughs> to you and they don't follow it through. Right. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes, sometimes I, I'll tell you, any trick in the book uh, that you can come up with to keep people involved in this, I think yeah. it's, it's fair game. Um, if he is sincerely interested and wants to see you again, ask him to read this book in the inter- interval. After doing that, he must decide for himself whether he wants to go on, okay? That's like when you ask them after they've read the book. After they've read the book, are you willing to go to any lengths? They know what any lengths looks like. If they don't want to do it, here's what you do. He should not be pushed or prodded by you, his wife, or friends. If he is to find God, the desire must come from within. If he thinks he can do the job in some other way or prefers some other spiritual approach, encourage him to follow his own conscience. Remember, alcohol is a great persuader. You don't want to blow your relationship with the individual just because they're not willing to go through the steps right at this point. You, you leave your phone number and you say, look, you know, this is the only way I know I would be doing you and me a disservice to move forward with you if, if you're not willing to do it this way. If you want to do it another way, that's, that's great. That's great. But if it doesn't work for you, please remember me and come back, come back to me and give me a call. 
like if you drink again or if your life stays unmanageable, will you please think about me and keep this phone number? Mm-hmm. You know, I'll do something like that. Right. Um, we have no monopoly on God. We merely have an approach that worked with us. But point out that we alcoholics have much in common and that you would like in any case to be friendly. Let it go at that. Do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. Search out another alcoholic and try it again. You know, I've seen people spend so much time on one sponsee who's unwilling to go through the step. I've seen, I can't even tell you, go to court with them and, you know, intervened with the wife, lent them money, had them stay at their house. That's all, that's all ego. That, that, you know, that kind of approach is all about ego and all about having people, wanting people to like you. That's not an effective way to really help somebody. You are sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you offer. And if you're not finding people desperate enough to, to accept the 12 steps, you're not going to the right places. Mm. You know, you're not in the detoxes. You're not in the men- mental hospitals. You're, you're not in the asylums. You're, you're, you know, you're not in, you know, you're not at the jail meetings. Uh, we find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. So right there, are we supposed to chase people around? No. No. If you leave such a person alone, he may soon become convinced that he cannot recover by himself. And that's because he's going to continue to relapse. To spend too much time on any one situation is to deny some other alcoholic an opportunity to live and be happy. One of our fellowship failed uh, entirely with his first half dozen prospects. He often says that if he had continued to work on them, he might have deprived many others who have since recovered of their chance. Remember, we're not on a membership drive here. We don't get a toaster for everybody we sign up <laughs> at the home group. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're about looking for the people who can and will work with us. That's what this is about. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, we're not a, a bank that gives a toaster away or a teddy bear. Um, I've even, I've even heard people say, oh, did you know so-and-so sponsors 15 people? Isn't he great? Uh, yeah. And I, 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 I don't know. One of the things that I've, that I've told, uh, my sponsees, and I got this from my own sponsor. Um, I've told my sponsees before, please, because where my head goes sometimes can be real ego. If you, if you have to refer to your sponsor showed you this or that, please don't mention my name. <laughs> that happens to me all the time, and I, I get misquoted all the time. Yeah, somebody say Chris told me, and then they'll 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 come out with something I never said. I know, <laughs> I know. And then if it doesn't work with somebody that heard that, they come and blame you. <laughs> I know, I know. Please be quiet, Chris. We are out of time. Um, we're leaving off here uh, at the second visit next week. Second we'll be talking visit. about the second visit. All right visitations from uh, those who want help uh, to recover from alcoholism Um, and there are there are plenty of people out there that really really do and that's why I like this this one sentence do not be discouraged because uh, if you really want to help somebody folks if you really are interested in applying this 12th step um, there's going to be plenty of people for you to help right Chris uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, a very small fraction of, of alcoholics are are firmly planted in recovery right now. The, the, the vast majority uh, are still in need of help. So there's an infinite reservoir of yeah. people to work with. 
Yeah. All right, my friends. Hey, listen, don't forget to come back next week uh, when we go into the second visitation here in Working with Others here at Walking Through the Big Book. This is the Monty Man along with Chris Schroeder, and we're wishing God serenity for you. Bye-bye now. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. (laughs) 